Thank you for listening to 7 Million Bikes, a Vietnam podcast. My name is Neil Mackay, and I've been the host of this podcast since 2019 when we started as a Saigon podcast. We set out to share the stories of people that lived in Saigon because it's such a crazy, energetic city and there were so many interesting people here. As the podcast grew, we started to interview more and more people from across the world that all have a connection to and a love for Vietnam. So we hope if you're a regular listener, you've enjoyed these stories. And if you're new to the podcast, then enjoy this episode, which is from the archives while we take a break after season seven. If you are new, then make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you get notifications for new episodes and check us out on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and even TikTok. Enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening. Sorry for the long wait between season two and three. It's been exciting. Seven Million Bikes has kind of morphed kind of naturally into more than just a podcast now. So I'm now hosting comedy events around Saigon under Seven Million Bikes. And we have the podcast as well and, and maybe some more exciting things in the pipeline. She's the first ever Scottish person, first ever Scottish guest on Seven Million Bikes. She's lived in Saigon for three years. And she also has a quite well-known travel blog called So The Adventure Begins. And I heard her being called an influencer this week, but she's shaking her head right now. So I'm going to introduce Frances Fraser-Reed. Thank you very much for coming to 7 Million Bikes. Thanks for having me on. I've just realised I didn't um, say this at the beginning. We have two Scottish people. Um, (laughs) We probably lost half the audience by now because they can't understand what we're saying. Can't have subtitles on a podcast, can we? I don't know. I I feel like... I don't really have an accent. Most people forget. They don't even realize I'm Scottish. They're like, huh? You're not from the States? Yeah, no, um, yours is very soft. I, 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 I think mine is as well. These days. I was about to say yours is too, but with us talking together. It's going to come back real fast. Eh? Well, hi, okay. uh, what are you doing the weekend? Eh? I said, people always try and ask me speaking a Scottish accent. I can't do it anymore, but that's... Mate, I can do a wee bit of that as well. Can you? I've got to pretend to be my sister, you know. Oh, does your sister have a real Scottish accent? She's a wee bit stronger than mine. <laughs> Become a member of the 7 Million Bikes community and you'll get free tickets to our events, free 7 Million Bikes face masks, episodes a day early, behind-the-scenes content and invites to special events for community members. The link is in the show description, so check it out and join today. Thank you so much to our existing community members. We look forward to seeing you again soon. This season, we've gifted sponsorship of a Vietnam podcast to two amazing charities close to our hearts, the Blue Dragon Children's Foundation in the North and Saigon Children's Charity in the South. Please check out the links in the description to learn more about these amazing organisations and donate if you can. Enjoy the episode and thanks for listening. So, you're not an influencer then? I like to think that social media is a tool for sharing things and not my main focus. So, I don't know. <laughs> Your friend said it, it, so Francis came to one of uh, the comedy shows that I was just mentioning this week and uh, I just showed you to your seats, which were just normal seats and I heard your friend say, uh, oh, so this is the influencer lifestyle. <laughs> Did you hear it? I think that's because she, she, I don't know, you put us in the front row so she was super excited. <laughs> <laughs> so most people think that that's the worst seat though. Oh, she just wanted a great view. That was all. She was uh, like, right up front, can see everything that's happening. <laughs> so tell us a bit about your, your blog then. So, so the adventure begins. So the blog, it was basically started as a passion project. I, as many people here, I'm a teacher. And the way that teaching hours are here, you end up with a lot of free time. 
So I was working in the evenings, had all this free time during the day. I'm quite creatively minded and I just needed an outlet. So that was something that had been brewing for a while. And just I decided to launch it when I moved here because I had all this free time to really like get invested. And then just over the years, it's kind of morphed and become more and more of a like a sharing platform for Saigon in particular. So what's the focus then of the blog? Well, so I've been redesigning it and it's the idea is now that it is more of an expat and Vietnam travel. So like the travel, I'm trying to gear it more towards expat travel within Vietnam. So I'm not really looking at like long term backpackers. It's mostly I want to really show people that while you're living here and you are working here, you can still be traveling on these like quick two day getaways, these day trips from the city, even just like urban exploration of Saigon. So that's kind of my new angle that I'm trying this year. Because I know, I mean, you're part of expat communities here. I have so many friends that don't either love it here or they don't really make the most of being somewhere that is this dynamic. And Mm -hmm. I just want them to, I guess, have a tool that they can refer to and be like, oh, this is a great day. Like we could do this, we could do this and give them all these different options. I definitely feel that that's something that's needed here. Is there, is that a gap that you saw that doesn't exist already? Yeah, so that's why I'm sort of edging it towards this way is like being within all these communities for however many years, you can see where the gaps are. So like I started creating these events posts on Facebook and sharing what was happening in Saigon each week through like just like Facebook research, like all the events bars are doing or, for example, your comedy events, these kind of things. And compiling them into one place so that expats are aware of what's going on. They're aware that these like art classes are happening or I guess like even like podcast tutorials and stuff are happening. So it was more just I saw that there was a lot of expats being like, oh, there's nothing to do here. Like That's a lie. There's a lot to do here. You just don't know where to find it. So trying to provide that. I think that's going to be really good because I do think it can be difficult here to find that information sometimes. It is a massive, massive city. And mm-hmm. so sometimes it can be, you forget how much is going on. But I've been here for four years. You've been here for three. So do you think that the amount to do has in- increased in that time? Do you think it's changed? Substantially. This completely different. Well, then again, I also have to look at it as in my first year, I wasn't really aware of where to look. Whereas now I'm quite like, I'm honed in and I know exactly where to go for different events and how to find them. But I think even people coming now probably, there is definitely a lot more, but even people coming now probably aren't aware of where to find it. So providing them with a resource where they can go to regularly and they know what they're going to get there, that's is needed. Because even, even though there are a lot more events happening now, and I'm sure you becoming more involved in like the podcasting and in the comedy sphere, you're aware of them a lot more. But for outsiders who maybe are new to the city and they're not in those circles already, it's really hard to come across them. That's a really interesting point because, yeah, I wonder if I'm just, I feel like there's more events, but maybe I'm just more aware yeah. of them. Because when I first came four years ago, we always felt, my wife and I, we always thought there's nothing to do here. You know, like it's, it's just, we, apart from drinking, which I, I hear is a, Common thing for a lot of expats, right? They're like, there's nothing to do here but drink. Well, it's a problem among the communities here is that a lot of people, they, they work, they do their teaching, and then they come home and their go-to is to go to like a, an expat haunt, like a bar that 
they frequent often and that is their social is to go to these bars that lots of other people go to and just hang out there. And that was kind of what I, my view for the first year was also that. I didn't really see that there was that much else happening. Kind of why I started the blog as well. <laughs> and I do think it has changed because in terms of comedy, for example, I remember um, when we first got here, there wasn't really much going on. It started to increase a little bit. And then Saigon Funny People kind of took it to the next level. Now there's just more and more shows. Obviously, I'm putting on shows as well. But music as well, I think music is increasing. But this this is a topic that comes up in Saigon quite often, and we've talked about it on the podcast before. And I actually had a conversation this week with um, Lawrence Young, who runs a Ho Chi Minh City expat non-troll group, if you know that one, which yeah. is now nearly like 10,000 members. And that's been a really great group because, you know, there's a problem with trolling and on Facebook groups. Do you know I want to do a future episode? I want to find an online troll and, and see if they'll be interviewed. Oh, that would be hilarious. And, and find out, like, why why do you troll? Because some of the people, anyway, that's, we're getting on a sidetrack. <laughs> but one of the common things, so we, we had the show this week, the comedy show. We had about 17 people there, which is pretty good. And the shows I've been doing normally between 20 and 25 people. But Lauren said to me, he said, why is there not more people here? He said, these are great events. Why is there not more people? And he said, we've done meet-up groups as well. And we had some good success in the beginning, but then we ended up, people weren't coming and and I said to him, well, this is a conversation that we've had before on this podcast with Damien Willis, who used to run Cargo Bar, which was in Saigon, I think, before, well, before my time, so before yours. And he was explaining that, you know, you're just getting people to come away, come away from their bar, the haunt, like you mentioned, on Boy VN and come to D4 to come and see like an international class band is so difficult. And so I don't, what, what do you think it is then that why... In a city so vibrant, so big, so dynamic, there's so much art, so much creativity going on, which it, maybe, again, I'm just becoming more aware of it. But why is it when people come here, just like me, they think, oh, there's nothing going on here? I think it's kind of, there's two main parts to that. It's people come away expecting it to, or they, or they rather they come away and they, they are looking for that home comfort, Right the regular spots while they're still like trying to find their feet here. It's challenging to live in Vietnam because the culture is so, so different to, I mean, we're both from Scotland, it's completely different to what we're used to. And I guess also it's a different type of social. Like living here, it reminds me a lot of being at university because, I mean, I don't have like my family around me here. I don't have those sort of, I guess, like family responsibilities that I have to like, you know, you have to go and see your grandparents. You have to do this, you have to do that. So we don't really have that, which frees up all of our time to hang out with friends, which is very reminiscent to University of Me is like I didn't live at home in, like during university years. So it was just all friends social. And I think expats are also into that. So like they're maybe going from living in that home environment with their family around them and having all this stability and stuff. And they're coming here and they're just like, whoa, I have so much free time and I'm so lost and I don't know what to do. And I'm in this foreign culture and the language is completely different. It's really hard to connect with people. I'm just going to keep going back to that same bar that I saw a couple of people at and I sparked up friendly conversation with. And it just kind of escalates and that you get stuck in that rut of that's what you do every Friday, every Monday, every Tuesday, whatever days. And it's just that comfort. And the beer is so cheap. And it's so cheap. No, that, I've never heard that comparison before. Yeah, Saigon for expats is just a big college town. It is. Yeah, I never thought about that before. Well, we also both live in what would be like the college area if Saigon was like if in the dorm area. Yeah. If Saigon was a university, you know, like we live right in the middle of where all the parties or uh, I guess like social events are happening. Yeah. 
So what do we what? So you think that your blog, also your new website, you think that's going to be a tool then to try and get people out more and get them out of that comfort zone? I hope so. I mean, when I started it, it was it's been going for three years. So it's like every year I kind of do like a facelift on it and try and hone in on my target for the year of like what type of content I want to create. Um, so it kind of started off just being like travel or like trips that you can take and it wasn't really focused on Vietnam so much. And I realized that that is actually the gap in the market is that people don't know what to do at home. They know like, oh, cool, you can go to Cambodia, you can see Angkor Wat and you can go to Thailand and islands and all of this different stuff. Because a lot of people that come here are travelers, but they then kind of get lost when they're in the big city because it's not quite as easy to think of things. I mean, it is, it's a huge city. It's like an urban sprawl. And it's, I remember thinking way like years ago, like, Someone mentioned something about Bintan, about living there. And I was like, oh, I would never go to Bintan. I don't really know what, there, what is there to do there. And now I have even just in my head, like four or five great days out that you could do in Bintan. And that's the kind of thing that I'm trying to put down on paper so that people can find it easily and they can actually go to these different neighborhoods and check them out and have a great day out there without feeling this kind of like, oh, I'm just like in my home city. Like it's not as exciting as traveling, you know? Yeah, and it's just, it's such a big city. And as I said, it's been here four years and still finding new things all the time in new areas like Bintan, the little little Tokyo, little Japan mm, yeah. area. Like I only found that out maybe a year ago, two years ago, maybe. It's been here for a couple of years and suddenly it's like, wow, never knew this area existed, you know, and finding new bars. I wonder though, um, yeah, just how much people are seeking that information. I'm including myself in that. How much, everyone just gets stuck in the, in the rut, I'm, right? This, my vision is to try and push people. Because I have built some reasonable social following, which is predominantly people that are based in Saigon, not even just based in Vietnam, like actually in the city. So I'm hoping that it can kind of inspire people to not just get stuck in that rut of like going to the same bars and literally their only social being drinking, you know? We all have days off here, you know? You should make the most of them. I think living here is really interesting because you really understand the true sense of the world of a developing country or a developing city. And I mean, you can physically see it in Saigon with the buildings coming up left, right and centre. But the creative art scene here in terms of English speaking, of course, because I don't speak Vietnamese, but I think even on the Vietnamese scene as well, it's developing, it seems to be more and more. So I think that's really exciting in terms of podcasting. You know, when I started this last just over, just under a year ago, I think there was one other podcast in Saigon and I think there was like six or seven. <laughs> that's really cool. Same with um, comedy as well. When I first came, there wasn't much many shows going on and now it's just more and more. Live music seems to be springing back up, I think. It seems to be more and more. Again, I don't know if I'm just noticing it or it's, it's coming back. What do you think about the music scene here? Um, I think, well, I was always aware that there was like acoustic nights and there was sort of open mic things going on around the city. But I do think there's an increase in it. And also the, the quality of these kind of events is increasing, like the quality of the comedy, the quality of the, the live music. It's all going up, which is great. And I think what I'm finding really interesting to see is the, the lines between the expat culture and the local culture are starting to blur, like blur a little bit and they're becoming more and more intertwined. So, for example, uh, like, you know, Dana, who does the... The other podcast, the Creators in Saigon one, she has a co-host now who is Vietnamese. And it's just amazing that they're now starting to be able to have more reach and really, I guess, educate both English speakers 
and Vietnamese on the same topics. And the same with a lot of the art things that I've seen. I, I don't know if it's just I am quite creative and I'm just finding these things through Facebook that I'm interested in. But like calligraphy workshops run by uh, young Saigonese artists or like water watercolors, all these different kind of like pottery, like throwing pottery, all this sort of stuff is not being run by expats, which I actually really, really like, is being run by like young artists in the city. And I think that is so cool that it's just, it's bringing everyone like a little bit closer together, considering it's super hard for us to really connect unless English is spoken. Mm. Do you speak Vietnamese? Oh, I have no idea what you said. That's <laughs> I don't understand Vietnamese. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean, that's the, pro- the, the, the thing I've noticed is I feel like the level of English spoken here has increased so much, which you, you would expect by the amount of English teachers that are here teaching English, you would expect to then see that. But I feel like I can physically hear it, see it. In the four years I've been here, now just everyone speaks English, I feel like, which makes it, I'm lazy. I completely admit I've, I haven't tried really. And the reason I haven't tried is because so many people speak English. It's hard to even try and speak Vietnamese because when you do even try, not only is it difficult to speak and then they don't understand you and you get embarrassed. Um, I just think it's crazy. So in terms of the art scene, yeah, I can see what you mean by like that blending together. But it's unfortunate because it's it's the Vietnamese people having to speak English to blend in with us, right? Yeah. It's not us learning Vietnamese. It's not the right way. Yeah. But it's still, I think, as I said, it's developing because... We talked about this before with uh, Vuman too when she was on here. We talked about comedy, doing comedy in Vietnamese and, and how difficult it can be because the language is just so different to English. It doesn't lend itself the same way that we use English for jokes like double entendres or timing and nuance, tone of voice, all of that kind of thing doesn't lend itself to Vietnamese. But now actually um, we Nguyen is and a bunch of others are all putting on comedy in Vietnamese, which I obviously haven't been to yet because I wouldn't be able to understand it. But I want to go and see just what it what it sounds like. Because what I'd heard is Vietnamese comedy is traditionally very slapstick and clownish because that's the way you can get the humour across. But now these guys are all starting to develop um, doing comedy in Vietnamese. So I'm excited to, to see how that goes. It'd be really interesting to just, even if you don't understand, mm. to go and observe and see how it's received. Yeah, because I, I do think that maybe it's Saigon specific, not necessarily the whole country, but like you said, it's developing very fast and it's because Saigon is so youthful, right? Like the majority of the population here, they are young, they are creative. If you go to like, you know, the coffee house, the, the coffee house brand, I don't know why, but every single time I go into one of their coffee stores, I'm surrounded by these people who are working on their laptops, they're doing graphic design or like physically drawing, you know? I feel like our generation are very, very creative in Vietnam, specifically in Saigon. So it'd be just like super cool to, I don't know, even just go and like see the way that it's done in these Vietnamese events, even though if we can't understand, just to go and like check it out. Get a sense of it. Yeah. yeah. Now, I've just realized I didn't um, say this at the beginning. We have two Scottish people. <laughs> um, we probably lost half the audience by now because they can't understand what we're saying. Can't have subtitles on a podcast, can we? I don't know. I, I feel like I don't really have an accent. Most people forget. They don't even realize I'm Scottish. They're like, huh? You're not from the States? Yeah, no, um, yours is very soft. I, I, I uh, think mine is as well. These days. I was about to say yours is too, but with us talking together. 
it's going to come back real fast. They will be okay, all right? Yeah, what are you doing the weekend, eh? I said, people always try and ask me speaking a Scottish accent. I can't do it anymore, but that's... Mate, I can do a wee bit of that as well. Can you? I've got to pretend to be my sister, you know. Oh, does your sister have a real Scottish accent? Ah, she's a wee bit stronger than mine. <laughs> We've I'm lost. to be my gran if I want to. Yeah. Oh, she's got a really thick Scottish accent. <laughs> if we hadn't lost half the audience, we've lost the other half now already. It's interesting, right? So I get it all the time, right? And you've heard me do comedy and I make lots of jokes about it, but I meet two types of people, right? All on a daily basis. Sometimes I'll meet them like next to each other and one of them will say to me, you know, you got a really strong accent, you know that? And I'm like, really? I don't think I do. And I was like, have you ever been to Scotland? No. Have you been to the UK? No. All right. And then the person next to will be like, I was going to say your accent is really clear and I can understand you really well. And I'll say, did you live in the UK or have you been there? And I'll be like, yeah, yeah, I lived there. I could barely understand anyone, but I can understand you. So it's interesting. It's all about like, you know, the, the person listening. Perception. Yeah, yeah, it's like their background, right? Really yep. like lends to it. Do you get something? Do you get similar, or you, people can't pick up your Scottish accent too much? No, I tend not to even get Scottish. It tends to be, "Where are you from in the states?" Not even, "Are you from America?" Where are you from in in the states? And then if I'm like, "Oh, I'm not from the states," they're like, "Oh shoot, are you from Canada?" And I'm like, <laughs> "No, like the completely wrong continent." How did this happen? So my my sister is probably sounds more similar to you. She's lived all over. She lives in Australia. She's lived in America for a bit. She took on the American accent quite a bit. So she's got a really kind of soft accent. It's not a strong Scottish accent and a bit like you're a little bit Americanized. She gets confused for American a lot. Two of my cousins were actually brought up in the Bahamas, which is all American accents. So for a long time, they were, they had proper American accents and now they've come back and it's gone back to Scottish. But when I was last home in July, I was sitting down, it was my grandfather's birthday party, and I was sitting next to my cousin, the one I'm talking about, and she went, Neil, you know, you've still got such a strong Glasgow accent. And I was like, do I really? That's my own family telling it's, me that. It's when you go home. Mm. So like here right now, it depends on who you're talking to. Talking to me, you're probably like a lot more relaxed, not even like consciously thinking about your voice at all. But when you're talking to maybe like Vietnamese people who don't speak super super fluent English you're a little bit more conscious right and as soon as I find it also the last time I went home it was just like two days in and I'd slipped back into a way thicker accent just because you don't even think about it anymore but it was actually funny you say that because I mean I am a teacher and I teach a lot of low age groups and my mom like a couple of days after I got home was like you can speak in full sentences (laughs) Like we're not we're not babies. We know what you're saying. You like you can speak in full sentences now. And I was like, I didn't even realize that I was speaking broken English. Like, you want sit down? Mm. My mom's like, you can say like, do you want to sit down? You know. <laughs> before we came to Vietnam, before we became English teachers, we were warned about this by my wife's sister, who's worked in the industry for a long time, and she's like, your English will get worse as you teach English because you create your language more. But I had something similar happen. Again, same trip, I went back home in July and I saw uh, one of my best friends, Gary, that I hadn't seen in a really long time. And he came in the bar and, and I can't remember exactly what I said. I probably went, hey, how are you doing, Gary? Good to see you again. And he looked at me and he went, you know I can speak English, right? And I was like, what? He's like, you don't need to talk to me like I'm a foreigner. And I was like, oh, I just didn't even, because I'm normally, normally if you, I mean, all right, Gary, how are you going? You all right? How are you being? Ah, good to see you. And I just, his face was just hilarious. The other thing I realized a lot was that I use such big gestures now. Everything I do, I'm like, oh, yeah, like, 
can can you hear me? Like using my hand to really like tell the story yeah. so much more than people do normally at home. I just became very aware of it, like observing my friends at a table. And I was like, oh my God, I need to like sit on my hands or something right now. Like this is too much. And part of the reason I bring this up is because we just had a, a, a review in Vietnam Oi magazine, which was amazing. They reviewed four podcasts and it's been really cool. I've seen the magazine in a couple of places. I've been out and I've been like, oh, look it up. And then I like see this. Like, you didn't take a copy? He's meant, he's just, when are you sending me the copy? I've got him send him a message. He's sending me a, a physical copy. But the, the reason I bring it up, Anna, he called my accent unusual sounding, which I thought was harsh. And I told him that. I was like, that's a bit harsh. He said unusual sounding to his ear. And he said that some people had trouble understanding. Where's he from? Where do you think? It's from the US? Yeah, of course. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that's why I'm wondering uh, how people are reacting to listening to two Scottish people. You may talking. need to subtitle. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> well, you can do the transcript. Yep. Maybe we'll do the transcript. But then, so I, I posted that on Facebook, uh, like a picture of the review. <laughs> I, I tagged Jesus in it and I was like, hey, I've just been told I have an unusual sounding accent. How does it sound to you? And one of the listeners uh, messaged and she's like, no, I can understand you fine. It's okay. So. Should be safe, hopefully. Yeah, should be all right. So what brought you to Saigon then? I knew that I didn't really want to work in the field that I was studying. So I was looking at options in my last year of university of different things that I could do in different parts of the world. And teaching was the one that jumped out as the best option for me. And I'd been to Thailand a couple of years before that and really loved it, fell in love with Thailand and was like, yes, there we go. I get to go back and I can explore more of Thailand. I can live there and work. And I had some friends who had just done like Cambodia, Thailand and Vietnam as like a trio of backpacking countries. And they came back and they were like, oh, so you want to move to Thailand? And they were like, Francis, Vietnam is kind of better than Thailand. And I was like, oh, well, I love Thailand. So if you're saying it's even better, then I think I need to go to Vietnam. Um, and I'd never been here before. It was I had a job. I had like everything lined up ready to go and I'd never even set foot in the country and my friends and my family were just like you're a little bit crazy <laughs> you don't want to go for like a couple of weeks for like a holiday just to see if you like it yeah I, I had wow. my job before I even graduated university right um, what did you study I studied biology right so literally nothing that I do right now is related to what I studied and I just I, I never really clicked with it I knew yeah. that I didn't enjoy it whilst I was studying it it was more just I continued because if I left, I had nothing to show for a couple of years of work. Whereas if I completed my degree, I had a degree. And as far as teaching, having a degree is pretty important. My mum always said, you know, it's, it's fine. You've got it in your back pocket. A degree, yeah, exactly. is, it gets you into a lot of things. So so do you remember your first impressions of Saigon when you, when you landed? I was super overwhelmed. Yeah, I think that's probably the most. I remember being like, I had a layover in Doha or something. I didn't pack very well. So, you know, like normally if you're going on like a trip, you pack like a spare change of clothes in your carry-on just in case something happens. No, I've never done that. Wait, Have you what? not? You bring a spare, spare, a spare change of clothes with you. Yeah, you should like, you know, you like keep your toothbrush in your carry-on. You keep like whatever it is you want to do in the airplane, like a book, your electronics, whatever. And you should keep like a spare change of clothes, like a pair of like clean underwear, socks, you shirt. yourself. No. <laughs> In case this happens, what happened to me? <laughs> All right, go on. All my luggage got lost in transit. Right. So I arrived in Saigon for my like very first evening in jeans and like the biggest trainers I owned that were just clunky and like 
really ugly. So I, because you know, you don't want to pack all the small things. You want to, no, you don't want to wear all the small things. You want to pack the big things so that they don't take up as much weight, right? So I'm wearing like big, thick jeans, long sleeve t-shirts. I got like a scarf with me. Did you not know me. how hot it was going to be here that you didn't need oh. any of that stuff? I mean, I knew, but I also <laughs> was hoping that as soon as I landed, I could change into like more comfortable items. Except they were like, yeah, your luggage isn't going to be here for three days. So my first three days in Saigon, I was wandering around in the same pair of jeans. And I was like, I have to go and buy some t-shirts. I can't wear long sleeve t-shirts. I'm literally a puddle of sweat right now. It's, oh, it was horrible. So my first experience, kind of unpleasant one. <laughs> <laughs> so what um, I've talked about this before as well, because I, I found it really challenging in Saigon. Like my first year, I hated it here. I wanted to leave. I couldn't. I was counting down the days. What been some of the biggest challenges that you've had here? Because you've obviously now seemed pretty settled here. It's actually funny you say that because I was exactly the same. Yeah. After the first, well, it was about a year and a half and I was desperate to go. I was super like, I had itchy feet. I was ready to go and travel. I'd had enough of um, of teaching, but I'd also had enough of just the general lifestyle, you know, like going to the same bars and drinking in the same places. And it was actually at that point I went through a breakup with the person that I'd moved here with. Yeah, four and a half years went through the breakup here. So I guess that was the biggest challenge, but it was it was a really great turning point in terms of self-growth because it made me really reassess what I was doing, who I was surrounding myself with, making sure that I was in a place that I was actually happy to be. And it's really funny because I was in that place that you just mentioned where I was desperate to leave. And now I'm like, I really can't leave. I'm like so sold and like mm. in love with where I live and the friends that I have and just the the whole lifestyle, I don't want to. And that was like the the breakup was the turning point where I just had to sit and like reevaluate how I was spending my time here. This is kind of why I want to showcase this other side of Saigon. It's actually not the other side. This side of Saigon mm. that people should really have as their main. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the challenge is going back to that again, I think as well, people just get, stuck right like we talk about the d7 bubble like i know people that live in d7 they, they admittedly never live i know people that live in d2 in my Tau building that i talked to in the taudian bubble there was a girl in my building who came to one of my comedy shows at wham saigon which is the other side of d2 and that was like far for her it's just the other side of taudian sorry for calling you out if you ever listen to this nicole <laughs> but um you know what i mean so i think a lot of the expats just get stuck there and um it's a shame because, yeah, I think this is a, is a great city, once, but you do need to make the effort. Yeah, a lot of people do find themselves getting kind of miserable, but it's the same way that they would be miserable working at home, mm -hmm. living and doing the same things week in, week out. And I think variety here is super important. But the other, the other side of that is do as locals do and you'll enjoy yourself way more instead of only eating at selected Western restaurants or... Um, at very fancy places, going for cocktails, do what locals do here. Go and eat street food and go to the markets and see the side of Vietnam that is like super alive. You know, go for beers on the side of the canal, like do all those cool things that young Vietnamese people are doing and it will spark more love for the fact that like a lot of people live here and they, they go about their lives as if they were living anywhere else when really you should be living life like people mm. do here. Yeah. And it'll make you enjoy it way more. That's basically what I started doing. 
Yeah, cool. Yeah, no, you do. that's good advice because, um, yeah. It's not, it's not to say that you shouldn't be going out and maybe going and having some cocktails on a rooftop bar. That's lovely. But I think it's finding a balance between, I guess, living a bougie lifestyle and a more local lifestyle and blur the two together no, so I, that you find the right balance for you. No, I completely agree. And I think that's probably maybe the, the turning point, maybe partly for me. I don't know if there's an exact moment, but I like to think that me and my wife, we do that gamut. You know, where we can go out and have a bougie cocktail night and go out to a rooftop bar, but then the next day we can be going to the market and having like you know, twenty thousand buck or things like that, and getting out there and going to different places. And I think it's good advice if anyone is listening, if they're in a rut, they're thinking, "What can I do?" Is just you just got to get out and see as much as you can. Take advantage of living here, right? Because if you do, just treat it like a normal, like you live. And I know I do know some people that do that. They just treat it like a normal job, the normal life, day to day, and don't take advantage of the fact that we live in this really dynamic different yeah. city well I like the fact that you arrived with a nuke Mia and I did too <laughs> and I think that just goes to show like those are it's the small things right like stop at the side of the road when you're driving past and get yourself some street juice because it's great like it I, is, it's I, the small things right? you can't do that back home go and get exactly. a nuke Mia that was $12,000 so depending on what currency you want to use it's 50 cents right for for people who don't know what nuke Mia is <laughs> it's sugar cane juice yeah, yeah. you see them like grinding it down at the side of the road but we don't get that in the UK. We don't get that even in Europe. I mean, Latin America, I think you get that, but I don't think you get that in the US. And it's really funny. I was having a pool day the other day with some friends and I was like, oh, do you guys want Nuke Mia? I'm getting myself some. And one of my friends was like, yes, oh my God, get me two. And the other girl was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Sure. And she's this, she's just hit her two years here. She's like, I don't know what you're talking about. It doesn't sure. surprise me. Some people like I that. came and I brought her one and she was like, wow, this is great. What is this? And I was like, you literally drive past four or five people selling this every day on your way to school. How did you not know this was here? And she's like, oh, I'm going to get this all the time now. <laughs> but it's those small things that like if you just, if you scratch a wee bit mm. and you learn some of the, the things that you can do, like the local foods that you can eat or just the the hotspots that you can go to to... So, for example, next to that wham bar that you did your comedy, it's a super beautiful sunset spot. Mm. And loads of people have now started to go there because it is it's really relaxing. You get to watch the river. There's people making smoothies and all different types of barbecue food. And if you indulge in those things, it makes your experience way more enjoyable here. And I'm no like expert because I still get surprised by things and I'm like, well, how did I not know about this? I'm like, what is that? And so I'm not like... Judging people, like, if you don't know. But, yeah, there are some people, like, how did you not know about this? Come it's on. more, I quite like the innocence of it. Yeah. And, like, just seeing the delight in her eyes was like, oh, my God, sugar cane juice, I'm sold. I'll have this all the time. And it's funny, I wonder if Vietnamese people just think that we're all weird, that we get so excited by sugar cane juice. I'm like, yeah, no, it's... <laughs> Why, you guys are so weird. Why you get so excited about this? So to go back a step, does your boyfriend still live here? He does. So ex-boyfriend, ex-boyfriend, sorry, ex-boyfriend of two years. <laughs> yeah, I know. Sorry, I know. I know it's a long time ago. But what I was going to ask: so we know that the expat community is small. Any breakup is obviously difficult. How was that here in Saigon? Again, being away from family, and then also, I would imagine, still being in the same circles and things like that. Yeah, it was kind of convenient timing because we both already resigned from our jobs and we were both ready to travel. Oh, you called your relationship a job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry if you're listening. 
<laughs> no, but it was just convenient timing that we were both in a position to leave the city and take some time for ourselves. And we did just that. He went off on his trip. I went off on my trip. And by the end of the summer, when we both came back, we were in a much better headspace as far as potentially bumping into each other or being in social events, friends' birthdays and such. And I mean, a, a time does obviously help. But nowadays, like I can go for fall with him and catch up based on like what's happening at home and how work is and stuff. And I think it takes a level of maturity that if I was at home, I wouldn't have. If I had been at home surrounded by what I was comfortable with, I wouldn't have been put into a position where I had to be okay with it. I think going through a breakup here is a million times harder than going through it at home because you really don't have the family support that you crave. It also just depends on your social circumstances, right? Like how many friends do you have that you would consider close friends? Because you can make friends, but there's a difference between like, you know, I mean, my best friends I grew up with are still my closest best friends, even though I don't see them very often, you know. Which is actually kind of interesting because I would say my closest friends are now in Saigon. Oh, okay. And I think going through a breakup and then having multiple friends go through it too has really helped us bond over a shared struggle. And it's, I think also... I had a moment where I had like a breakdown, not over the breakup, but over feeling alone here. And I was just like, oh my God, I don't actually have any friends. Like, what am I doing? And I, it then forced me to go out and even those surface level friends to become more intimate with them and say like, hey, I'm going through this and I'm really sorry to be a burden on you, but would you mind helping me out a little bit? And those are some of the best friendships that I have now. That's awesome. So I think... Going through a breakup here is obviously terrible, but there are definitely silver linings in it, in the, these new friendships. And just that you're in like a cool place to where you have this free time, you have potentially financial freedom to sit and reassess what ticks for you independently mm. of anyone else. But yeah, I don't know. It's not a fun experience for anyone. No, I know. I'm sure. And that, one of the reasons I'm kind of bringing it up is because we've talked about this before with other guests on the podcast, is the difficulty of being a female expat in Saigon. I don't feel it so more. No? So, yeah, yeah. I, oh, interesting. I don't, I don't really see that it's that different from being a guy here. Okay. But maybe that's just because I'm a little confident in myself <laughs> <laughs> well even in terms of we mentioned trolling earlier you know like it, to the point where there has to be groups for female expats and we've interviewed susan who's that one of the founders of that mm, the female expat group has got a very great energy to it and i think it's it's unfortunate that there are these trolls and it's not to say that the trolls are all guys but i think the female expat group has a lot of a lot of people who rally together and shut people down <laughs> instead of egging them on. So if anyone does say anything offensive in any of the female groups, the other girls that are there will shut them down and be like, that's not fair. Like, what are you doing? Instead of in the guy groups, I feel like there's like 10 other people in the back like, yeah, what are you saying? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like racist comment, misogynistic comment, like just pile them all on, you know? I don't, I don't really see that there's that much difference. I think a lot of people moving here are maybe t like a little bit more scared of safety. As a girl, never really felt it myself, but 
maybe I'm just very lucky. I have quite a lot of confidence in going out and making sure that nothing stops me. So I don't feel, I actually feel very, very safe walking around at night here. Mm. It's maybe the neighbourhoods that I'm in as well. Even as a guy, I think I'd feel this how you go into a safe place. I used to live in District 4. And it's funny, if you if you tell a Vietnamese person that you live in District 4, they go, oh, so dangerous. And then you're like, no, that's really not. And then, you, yeah, it was dangerous like 10 years ago when there was like big gangs. But then again, I don't know if I was just naive and walking about with like no clue when there's actually people behind me with machetes and who knows what. And I'm just like, la, 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 this place is fine. But I generally feel like it's it's safe. I mean, lived in places in Australia, if you go out on a Friday night, you kind of feel like, oh, I'm worried that some drunk guy's going to glass you or something like We're that. We're from Scotland. <laughs> well, in Scotland as well. It's funny, a glass smashed last week when we were in a bar, and I was talking to my wife, and I was like, you know, anytime I hear a, a glass smash, it's just such a violent sound, isn't it? And she's like, yeah, no, it's a violent sound. I was like, you know, because always anytime I hear a glass smash, I think, oh, did somebody just get hit with a glass? And she was like, that's fine. I don't think like that. She's like, if I'd hear a glass, my first thought is who, my first thought isn't who got glass. I was like, that must be just a really Scottish thing. Not that I've even, I don't think I've even ever seen anyone being glassed in Scotland, but I think maybe it's just because we are um, known for that. Well, I'm not from Glasgow. I'm from, it's <laughs> so, different, but I'm sure you know of Leith area of Edinburgh. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty rough. Which web train spot was set. Right yeah, there. and it's where my parents were always like, "You never walk there alone at night." But I, I, I'm, I feel like I'm probably the same as you, a little bit naive to it because we can't read the like the Vietnamese news. Right? Yeah, yeah, right. We get very selected like things that are published in English in the news here, so we probably don't get any of the scary gang stories from D four. You know, that ties into if you think about it, how the media perpetuates fear, right? Because as soon as you remove yourself from that media, then you you lose the fear. So if you were to shut yourself off. And I think I've done this in the past. If you just stop reading the news, you'd like, you wouldn't know anything that's going on. Donald Brexit. Yeah, right. <laughs> I just so deleted what, them. You're, uh, what do you, did you ever go to Glasgow much? My mum's my side of the family are from just outside Glasgow. They're from Ayrshire. Right, right. It's not Glasgow. <laughs> <laughs> it's rougher than Glasgow, though. <laughs> yeah. I never used to like Edinburgh that much just because I was a Glaswegian. But then I went back a couple of years ago and uh, it was a beautiful sunny day. For a few days we were there and it just stunning. I was like, all right, Edinburgh's not too bad. I'm the same, but the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, Glasgow, there's nothing to it. <laughs> and I'm very like, oh, well, we have a castle in Edinburgh and you guys don't have a castle yeah. in Glasgow, so we're superior, yeah. of course. No. <laughs> Do you ever miss Scotland? I, it's funny because I don't miss Scotland on like, like even like a monthly basis. I obviously miss my family and my friends, but I, f- I don't know. I felt very, like, very happy last time I went home. I was just like, oh, my God, I love this place so much. I was eating all the food, drinking all the iron brew. It was just like every every building in Edinburgh, even in Glasgow, is quite historical. And I was just like, oh, my God, there's so much old stuff around me. Like, this is amazing. Um, and I guess it was then that I realized I'd been away for a year and a half without visiting. And I was like, okay, I, I miss Scotland, like, for the, for the place, not yeah, no, I was the same. I went to America when I was like 20 years old and came back. I was like, wow. Just because you're brought up with it, you just didn't realise that. Like, I have a mountain range behind my house, the Campsy Fells. And I just remember coming back into Bishop Briggs and just being like, wow, there's a mountain range. But I just never appreciated it. It's wake up every day and it's there. Same with the buildings as well. You go into Glasgow, European buildings, Gothic architecture, all this stuff. Again, it's just there. We're so 
we're so numb to it when you grow up surrounded by it. But it's, it's nice because both of us have lived abroad now and we're never going to like not appreciate Scotland for how beautiful it is now. It's quite interesting living in Saigon because everything's so new here that I don't know if you've been down to District 5 around Chinatown and stuff. A, lot, a couple of years ago, but not in a while. Yeah. So like, I also, I'd done that like my first year, I went and was like, oh, Chinatown, I need to go and check this out. Didn't think too much of it. But I went back last year and did some proper exploring. There are so many really cool old buildings that you, I didn't expect Ho Chi Minh to have. Sort of like French colonial buildings and stuff from like the early 1900s. But the rest of Vietnam doesn't have any of that. So when I saw them, I was like, whoa. And it was that same sort of like childlike wonder, like, oh my God, these buildings are so old. Because we're so surrounded by modern buildings that they really stand out now. Mm, is that um, on your website? I want to find this. It's not. Well, I'll, I'll write it up for you. There you go. Right. Write it up. I want to go and explore these places. So in danger of being making this episode too long, part of the review that we got in Vietnam Oi from Jesus was he complained that the episodes were too long, which was funny as well because he reviewed four podcasts and every one of them he said was were too long. All of them. All of them, but mine was especially too long. And I thought, well, that's pretty typical. I'm Scottish. And then now we've got two Scottish people. So I think we could go, this could go on for days. We just just keep talking. Rambling. Yeah. I'm surprised that he said all four of them were too long. Maybe he's... He must like short form podcast. Yeah. Most of my episodes are maybe, I've, I've questioned it before, are they too long? And some of them I've had to make into two parts. But uh, again, feedback from a couple of people is like, eh, they're fine. So, all right. So saying that, we're going to move on to the final part of the podcast. At the end of every episode, I ask uh, the guests a series of questions and they've been different for every season. So we've got new questions for season three. So the first question, which you alluded to earlier, is what's your favorite sunset spot in Saigon? Do I have to pick one? Yes, just one. Oh, it's really hard because I have three and they're all like... They're all like equally great. I'll go with my current. No, actually, I don't know. No, I'm going to go with the one that is like the most beautiful. And maybe you've seen it driving past, but just by the highway on Mai Chito, there is an area that is waiting for development. So they've already built the roads, but there's no buildings there. And it's all cordoned off. No traffic can get there. And some really inventive people went and started selling kites. And now this is the area that everyone on the weekend goes to to fly kites. So on like Friday, Saturday, Sunday night, it is full of these kids, like even adults sitting flying kites, drinking beers at the side of the road. It's just, it's such a magical place to watch sunset. And the way that one of the roads lines up, it has Batexco right at the end of it. And it's just, I mean, it is nothing. It is so shab chic. <laughs> like you're literally, you sit on the side of the pavement, but you can buy a kite for 150k and fly a kite and drink a beer and get some corn on the cobs and cotton candy and just see like hundreds of kids with their parents trying to teach them how to fly kites. So with over 7 million bikes in Saigon, hence the name of the podcast, and traffic laws are more of a guideline, what's an unwritten road rule that you couldn't live without? That you can always turn right. Yeah. I will avoid every, like stopping at traffic lights. I will I will take detours just to stop dropping into like traffic lights. So I just keep turning right and right and right and right <laughs> until I get really stuck on a dead end. And so for anyone who doesn't live here, if the light is red, 
you can turn right on red, which in America in some states is like written into the law. It's called right on red. Because it makes sense. You just give way. I found myself when I was at home, like obviously we drive on the other side of the road. But like we pulled up to lights and I'm just like, mom, what are you doing? (laughs) And oh, she's like, oh, well, like, what do you want me to do? And I'm like, turn, keep going, keep going. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah. So in the the UK would be left on red. Turn left, yeah. But it is weird when you go back because you'll be sitting at a junction and maybe in, in the evening or at nighttime and there's nobody there. And people, you're just sitting at this red light and it's like, because I think we are treated like babies in the UK, you know, what you call it, like a nanny state. And Too many security cameras watching you. Yeah, and like just stupid rules, like give people a bit of common sense, like I get it. But like if you're at a junction at two in the morning and it's empty and you're sitting there just obedient to this red light when you just turn left and go on your day, like it's Do you know the Unabomber story? No, go on. He talks about this in his manifesto. You know, Unabomber is a real story, but he talks about... I don't really know anything about the Unabomber. So what does he say? That basically like that, the nanny state tells you what to do and yep. all that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know anything about the Unabomber, so I'm not endorsing... He sounds like he's not a good person. He's not a good person. Okay. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. Um, so I'm not endorsing that way of thinking, but it's just it's so interesting here that you do have that sense of freedom that you can go right on red, right? Which I don't even know. That might actually be illegal here. Maybe. It might be illegal. I'm not sure. But it's like... It's still like the done thing. Yeah. It's still acceptable. And I'm the same as you. I would literally take a right if it means that I can just keep moving, if it means a bit of a detour. Because I've always described traffic in Saigon as like flowing water, right? And it just finds the path of the least resistance. And that's, I think, probably why there's not carnage on the road left, right and centre, because it's just free flowing. It's the reason that it works with 7 million bikes. Yeah, exactly. If we we weren't allowed to turn right, we would be so congested. So More congested. (laughs) Well... We're doing them a favour. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, now you you said earlier you don't speak Vietnamese, but what's your most useful Vietnamese phrase? Bài Kong Bê Tinh Viet. No, I'm kidding. What does that mean? <laughs> I, you I don't speak Vietnamese. <laughs> well, that, that, that could be super useful, right? Because you have to then... No, I like pulling a joy oi out my bag yeah. just like a couple times a day just to see people giggle. Because they're like, who's this weird foreign girl that's saying, oh my God, in Vietnamese? I overused that. I've st- I just It's funny, I just mentioned to my friend like just yesterday, I was like, I don't say choi oi anymore because I went through a phase where literally everything I said was a choi oi all the time. My The one I use, which it just makes me giggle all the time if I hear um, like two Vietnamese people talking like colleagues or friends, and then I'll just randomly be like, dum roi. <laughs> and they look at me like... No, I, don't, I had no idea what you just said. Thumb right, right means um, that's right. <laughs> so they look at me confused, like, did he, did he know what we were talking about? No, never did. Now, would you rather live in Saigon now with all the mod cons that we enjoy, or 20 years ago, so it would be, you know, sleepier, quieter, cleaner, but there would be less international food, coffee, art, all of that. So what would you rather, Saigon now or Saigon 20 years ago? I love Saigon now. I'm sticking with it. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'd love to go back and see what it was like. I wouldn't mind to see it, yeah. but I wouldn't want to wouldn't live in it. it. No, yeah. I really like how dynamic it is right now. Mm. And I feed off of the energy of the busyness. So to go somewhere sleepy is like, I'm quite happy to go to somewhere sleepy like Dilat for the weekend, but I wouldn't be able to live there mm. long term. So I need the I need the 7 million bikes and the hum of Saigon. <laughs> yeah. Well, in saying that, what would you say, what's missing from Saigon? More sports. Hmm. I think so. Like more more places that you can go to do sports. I know there's quite a few parks, but they're not really set up to facilitate. Like you can't just bring a football and just start playing in quite a lot of those parks. 
especially, you know, like Finn Holmes has this great, beautiful big park, but you're not allowed to play sports there. Yeah, no, I agree. I think sport teams is, uh, there's, there's the football, I think. I got invited to go to a football game once, but I've never heard anything about it again. But I, can, I think it's all in Vietnamese and I don't hear about it. There's quite a few, like, five-a-side football teams, I No, think. but I mean, like, a professional oh. soccer team, like... Like, to go and watch? Yeah, to go and watch. Like a, Yeah, I'm thinking more, like, yes, to go and watch, but also more, like, amateur stuff that you can get involved in playing. Right, you know, like, right. more, more your casual dance clubs or, I guess, like... It would be really cool if they did like hockey or netball or something here. I think they do though. I know, but I just don't know where. <laughs> so if anyone's listening, you can send me it. Susan Lee, who's been on the podcast before, she plays Gaelic football. Yeah, so it's like a huge thing among the Irish Is expats it? here. I yeah. I was so surprised at that. I was like, wait, what? It's because there's so many Irish people here. Like they made that themselves. Yeah. Like the same, there's like a rugby league for, for guys. And I think that was started by Irish people too just because they miss it from home, so mm. they started it. But I'm not Irish and I don't play rugby. So <laughs> I don't really fit in with either the Gaelic football or the rugby there. If you could bring one thing from Scotland to Saigon, what would it be? Deep fried Mars bars. Really? You can get yeah. that at Union Jacks. Can you? Yeah. Well, I need to go to Union Jacks more then. Yeah, shout out to Matt Ryan. Nearly every episode somehow Matt Ryan comes up. You're in it again, Matt. Can I do right another one in. then? Because so I'm going to go to Union Jacks for dinner. Egg. What would I bring from Scotland? You can get Iron Brew here as well. Kayleys. Oh, I bring Kayleys. That's a good one, right? Because we just talked about sport and that would be like the ultimate sporting event is to have a Kaylee. So you explain to someone who oh. has no idea what you're talking about, what is a Kaylee? So how do you spell it? Because <laughs> it's not Kaylee. the way it sounds. No, a Kaylee is like a Scottish party. It's like a dance kind of thing, right? You have bagpipes and people wear kilts. And if you don't know what a kilt is, it's a skirt for men. A skirt. It's the most <laughs> common thing I get from Vietnamese people. Why do men wear skirts in Scotland? I'm like, it's not a skirt, it's a kilt. Do you have a kilt? Not my own one. No. no. So yeah, and then you do like a lot of traditional dancing. Yeah, like they're so fun. Fiddle. It's, they're great fun and you end up like dripping in sweat by the end. They're like a really good workout. I think there is one here as well in, uh, for, in November, for St. St. Andrew's Day is in November. Yeah. Yeah, I think they have one. Do they? D2. Well, they're both of mine. There you go. They're already here. You, you've meant to be the, uh, the blogger and the content creator that knows about everything that's going on in Saigon and you don't know nothing. I don't know nothing about Scotland. I don't have any Scottish friends here. That's why. Well, I was going to ask, do you hang out with much Scottish people? No, she's shaking her head on me either. We, we have... repel each other, Scottish people. I think we don't, we don't tend to, anywhere I've lived in the world, I've never hung out with a Scottish person. There's just not that many of us in Saigon. No. I mean, I know you and I have maybe like four or five colleagues that are Scottish mm. also, but my company is huge and I don't see them very often. And when I do see them, it's like, yeah, I hear about this in Scotland. That's about I it. don't travel as much, but as the Irish, I think are totally different. Like we Scottish people repel each other and go, we, if you I meet a Scottish person, I'm like, all right, cool. Then, But Irish people seem to like merge together and become like a super Irish person and create... Yeah, like footballs and Irish bars and... You know the six degrees of separation? Yeah. I feel like if you're Irish, it's literally like three degrees of separation. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know someone's grand, right? Whereas in Scotland, we don't, like, I'm pretty sure we don't have any mutual connections. Well, we'll find out after. We'll well, look well, do you know what happened to you? And we'll finish up. Do you know what happened to you on Monday night? It's hilarious. That's never happened to me before. After a comedy show on Monday, this guy came up to me who was a travelling comedian come through and he went, are oh, you from Scotland? And I went, yeah, yeah. And he went, oh, do you know Matt? 
Yeah, which one? <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I was like, I was like, so Cavalli, what do you mean? He said, like, Matt, he does comedy in Shanghai. And I was like, oh, like, no, we don't all know each other. Like, <laughs> I have no idea who this guy is. In Shanghai. Yeah, well. no, Shanghai. Different country. Different country. Asia, it's all the same right now. Anyway, so that, that made me laugh. So we'll finish up on that. Thank you so much for being the first guest on season three and the first ever Scottish guest on Seven Million Bikes. Thank you very, very much to Waves, who have provided an amazing sound engineer, We, who's here today listening to us talk absolute nonsense. They've provided an amazing studio, so hopefully the quality of the sound will be better than previous seasons, and they've just been really supportive. So look out for the Waves app. You can download it in the Play Store or Apple. What's that called for Apples? App Store. App Store. I'm I'm an an Android guy. What is it? To the Apple App Store. So there, Waves have been amazing. Also look out, we're going to be uh, featured on Bliss magazine as well. So thanks to them, they're going to have the podcast on the front page of their magazine and we're going to do maybe an episode with them and maybe they're going to do an article about podcasts as well, which will be cool. If you want to listen to future episodes, you can go to www.7millionbikes.com. You can also get anywhere you listen to podcasts, pretty much Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, CastBox, as a million different places and on the Waves app as well you'll be able to find it there please go to the Facebook page just look up 7 million bikes that's where I'll um, post all the new podcast episodes but as I mentioned we're we're doing more comedy shows and events so look out for that you'll see uh, get updates on that and hopefully if you're inside gone you can come out and see comedy one night you'll see me perform see some of the top comedians and Francis often comes and you'll maybe meet Francis in the audience as well All right, so thank you very much and I hope you enjoyed the episode and you can listen in next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode of 7 Million Bikes, a Vietnam podcast. We hope you enjoy hearing our guest stories. If you haven't already, please make sure to subscribe to the show and turn on notifications so you never miss a new episode. Thank you so much to our producer, Lewis Wright, for making sure the show sounds as good as possible for you. And also a big thanks to the 7 Million Bikes community members and everyone who supports us. Don't forget, if you haven't already, you can join the community today. The link is in the description and you'll get free event tickets, free 7 Million Bikes face mask and invites to special member events. Also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and I'm still ashamed to say this, TikTok. Most of all, if you can, please donate to Saigon Children's Charity or Blue Dragons Children Foundation's COVID appeals. Remember, we have six seasons of stories to share with you, so check them out if you haven't already, and we hope you can listen to future episodes too so you can laugh, connect, and discover. Cheers. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're like me, you may use your laptop at places where you have to use public Wi-Fi. This opens you up to digital snoopers. It's a massive problem. It can be your internet service provider, or you know who, looking at what you do online. 
or a cyber criminal trying to steal your bank passwords or credit card info, or even a hacker at the next table trying to steal your sensitive data. These days, it is vital that you keep your data safe. NordVPN keeps all of these snoopers away. It makes your internet activity private, protects you from accessing dangerous websites that are fishing for your data, and lets you enjoy your favorite content securely, even while away from home. And it's easy to use, even I could use it. I've actually been using NordVPN for years now here in Vietnam, and I'm excited to be an affiliate partner with them. I've used NordVPN to watch Netflix, BBC, Disney Plus with ease, and I also know that my information and data are safe from prying eyes, whoever they may be. Join now and you'll get 68% off and three months free when you go to my link, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. Just again, for those hard of hearing, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. The link is also in the show notes. I know nobody checks them out, but go check that out and you can get the link from wherever you are listening to this podcast. As an affiliate partner, it also means that I will get a small commission when you sign up, but at no extra cost to you. So not only will you be getting a great deal through 7 Million Bikes, you get a great VPN and you'll be supporting 7 Million Bikes podcast. Stay safe online and enjoy the shows you love. Any questions, just let me know. You know how to get in touch with me. And thanks for listening to this show. Cheers.